This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R. We work out our bodies. Let's work out our minds. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get that 10% off your first month. You're like, what is BetterHelp? Why would I go there? Because it's it's online therapy, baby. That's right. You don't have to sit in traffic. Uh, It's cheaper. It's international. So wherever you are in the world, your therapist can go with you. And you don't even have to sit in an office. The best thing is you can do this from your phone. Uh, You can text. You can call. Within 48 hours, they're going to match you up with your own therapist. Some people have their own chef, their own personal trainer. You get your own therapist. How cool is that? And here's the best part. If you don't like the therapist, you can just find yourself another one. You know, They will match you up with another therapist. Because I have friends who are looking for therapist right now and they're saying how hard it is to find one everybody everybody got a therapist now it seems like nowadays so get one and and if you're one of those people who are like well my life is good everything's good i don't need a therapist that's why now is the time to get one because when life hits the fan and and inevitably it does right uh that's not the time to look for a therapist because it takes time to build rapport to connect for them to know your backstory, for you to feel comfortable. So get a therapist now, somebody that you can talk to, build a relationship with, and then you can take a break. But then you have, you know, you got that therapist in your pocket when things do hit the fan, when life does punch you in the face. And then you got that, now it's not even a therapist you're calling, it's a friend, but it's a friend who's gonna, who's gonna like make you feel safe and secure and hold all your secrets and, and show you how to grow and get unstuck. It's, it's the best friend in the world, right there in your pocket, on your cell phone. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get that 10% off your first month now. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Hey, let's all take a big inhale. A whole and exhale through the mouth. Ah. Welcome to another episode. I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm happy you're still here. Yeah, of course you're here. You're worth it. You're valued. I I need you. If nobody's told you that, I'm telling you. I, Leo Flowers, need you. I need your the, the messages people have shared on Twitter or email you can email me at leoflowers2000 at uh at gmail uh and and all that keeps me going i love it i love the listeners i love seeing that you know you guys are worldwide from malaysia to switzerland to india to canada it's it's beautiful i need you so thank you for tuning in today we're going to talk about right now as i promised um I attended a suicide prevention conference via Zoom. I would lo- I would have loved to be there in person. And actually, a few years ago, I was going to go. And then COVID uh, happened. So today's topic, and in the suicide uh, uh, convention, they had different speakers talking about different topics. So I watched all of the speakers, and it was cool because I had a Q&A on the right side that you could check out, and I took notes, and now I'm bringing those notes to you. Now, I initially thought I was going to take all the notes from the different speakers and put it all in one episode, but then as I'm sitting here, you know, as I'm sitting here rewriting it and preparing, I was like, oh, this is... This is too much for one episode. It'd be like a Joe, be a Joe Rogan podcast or a, a series or something. So, uh, what we're gonna do today? We're just gonna focus on suicide in older adults. That's right, suicide in older adults. And this was a talk given by Matthew Fullen. I believe that's right, F U L L E N, and. I love how he started this talk. He started talking about Kodak, Eastman Kodak, who was the founder of the the Kodak company, the camera, you know, little Kodak cameras. And I had read that Eastman Kodak 
had ended his life because there was nothing left for him to do. That, that was his note. He left a suicide note saying there was nothing left for him to do. And the idea that was put out, the myth, the legend, was that because he checked everything off of his check of his lifetime off his bucket list, he ended his life. And then I come to find out that so much more was going on from uh, according to Matthew Fullen. So Eastman Kodak uh, ended his life, right? He was like in his 70s for a few reasons. One, he was grieving the death of his mother and a friend. So he was grieving. That means he was probably in, in, in physical pain, emotional pain, just the amount of anguish I can't imagine uh, to not only lose your mother, but also your friend. Because usually, you know, you go to your friend to help console you with the death of your mother. And then when that, when your person is taken away from you, I can't imagine uh, the effects of that. He also struggled with social isolation over loss of control of his company. So he loses his mom, he loses his best friend, and then he loses control over his company, which is like a, a, a baby to him, which is like his child, the thing that he birthed. You know, Steve Jobs went through the same thing when, with, with Apple, where he, you know, he founds this company, and then the shareholders just rip it out of his hands. They just hijack it. And, it, you know, yes, he goes on to, uh, you know, start Pixar, but and it eventually comes back to Apple. But how how heartbreaking and gut wrenching is it to to build a company from the ground up into a wild success and then have people wrestle it away from you? And maybe they ain't even wrestle it; they just took it. Um, and so that that's heartbreaking, right? And so, you know, to be grieving that kind of loss. Um, he also, Kodak also had a degenerative spinal condition. He had loss of bladder control as a result of the degenerative spinal condition. He had depression from hardships and just lost his lack of meaning and purpose in life. When you, when you lose your connection to people, and then to your company, I mean, that company was probably his purpose, his meaning, his driving force, the thing that was getting him out of bed every morning. And then, you know, whatever the success of the company was and the triumphs, those were things that he shared with his family and friends, and then they're no longer there. And then he's losing his bodily functions. And, and I'm, I'm sharing this part with you to say that when you when we read about someone ending their life a lot of times it can feel like it doesn't make sense like it like it was just out the blue it was so random they, everything was going so well they were so happy it, it, it just doesn't make sense but when we dig deeper and deeper we start to explore and peel back the layers. That's when we discover the compounding interest of grief and trauma and pain that were there. And this is also beautiful to remember for our own selves because a lot of times we think that our crying spells, our depression, our mood swings are just out of nowhere. For no reason. But if we take some time to dig a little deeper, we'll find a, a wealth of reasons. Whether it's an environmental change, medication change, uh, transitioning from uh, one place to the next, grieving the loss of someone, even if even the excitement of a new job or getting married, or it could be the pressure of having to perform at whatever level or the loss of identity. Like when we put all those together, 
now it starts to make sense. So rarely is it ever a thing, right? One thing. It's usually five or six things. Um, so I'm, I'm, I really enjoyed the fact that he highlighted that and brought that to mind. Because, like I said, we are talking about suicide in, in older adults. When we look at the stats, globally, adults over age 70 have the highest suicide rates. And it's double for older white males. And he didn't really go into why, specifically, but according to the interpersonal theory of suicide, it's due to perceived burdensomeness, thwarted belonging, increase in pain tolerance, and reduced fear of death. So let me, let me peel back those layers a little bit. When we're talking about the, the increase in, in the highest suicide rates being in people older than 70, Part of it, according to the interpersonal theory of suicide, is perceived burdensomeness. Like it's such a hard word to say. So let me unpack that. You know, we sometimes when we get older, we just feel like we're a burden to other people, especially if you're a grandparent living with your kids or your grandkids, and you feel like you're draining their resources, or you people are overextending themselves to help support you, you could feel like you're a burden, like you, you know, you're not providing value anymore, or like you're not needed, even if it's not financially, maybe even emotionally, like your wisdom is is outdated, expired. And so then if I'm not providing any emotional support or social support, usually the grandparents are there to play and nurture and teach and babysit the grandkids. But, you know, if you, have a, if you have a child who then doesn't have any grandchildren and then you're struggling with health issues, it, it, it's understandable to feel like you're a burden. And then the other part, according to the interpersonal theory of suicide, is that thwarted belongingness, meaning that we want to be a part of our family and their structures, or we want to be a part of the company or business or the community, but it's thwarted for whatever reason. Maybe there are transportation issues. I can't, I can't catch the bus and then the train and then the bus to get there. The, the, it, the, the schedules don't line up. It won't get me there on time or it'll take too much time and my sciatica flare up or they don't have handicap access, right? It could be a weather thing. So that thwarted, or they just, you know, you've applied and they rejected you. There are just so many ways that we could experience a, a thwarted belongingness uh, as, as a part of a, a group. And, you know, especially if you're trying to reach out and play, get the, maybe you're trying to get your friends together and they, or they just all seem to have lives of their own. So, you know, a little poker night, game night, whatever that is, is just not happening. And then you couple that with an increase in pain tolerance and reduced fear of death, right? And, and this can happen because as we get older, you know, some people fall more. So they have more injuries. They break a hip. They break a leg. They've had maybe two or three heart attacks. I remember this, this guy's like 90 years old. He had three heart attacks. But now, you know, he's in a band, you know, he's just, he just keeps going. That's, you know, who he is, right? But, you know, be, after surgery after surgery, in and out the hospital, fall after fall, you start to develop a pain tolerance, and then that lowers your threshold for death, right? So that's all according to the interpersonal theory of suicide. So... What are some of the intersecting factors contributing to this suicide rate being so high in older adults, right? Um, well, here's what I found was interesting. He mentioned that suicide rates increase in males during adolescence and then level off in their middle age and then increase again in old age. So, you know, 
male adolescents are so aggressive when we're young. That just the testosterone is is bubbling up, and you know we we really want to be a part of and of a group, a tribe, a collective. Our emotions run so high, and so the suicide rates are through the roof. And then they kind of level off in the middle. And usually that's because you know we've gotten married, uh, we have kids, we 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 create this community, we have a job, we are in a rhythm, a routine. And then, you know, we get as we get older, maybe the wife dies. The we've either retired or had to quit the job or been fired or had, you know, had the company stolen from us. So we start to lose all these anchors, these connections that we had as a child uh, when we were younger. And and then that sets us up for all types of mental health and physical physical health issues, right? If you if you fall and nobody is there at home uh, to to help you get back up, uh, you know that that could be deadly. Also, for females, what was interesting is that their rates increase in adolescence. Once again, we have so many hormone changes, and then plus so many kids today. Um, a lot of you know the ADHD, the Adderall, the different meds we're putting kids on. So you have a kid who already has a a, a, a fluctuating hormonal level and and a bunch of chemicals in their system, and then we're adding, we're dumping more chemicals in there. So there's there's a lot happening, and and a lot of transitions happen in our in our adolescence, and then we find that for women it levels off again. And then it increases in middle age and then levels off in old age. And they're not sure why the increase in middle age, but there's a leveling off in middle age for men, but an increase in middle age for women. But it could be that they got married and then didn't pursue their career or set themselves up or or. or feel isolated from a social group because maybe they got married into a controlling marriage. They don't have autonomy, feel like they have agency. And so that the, the, the buildup of that stress and a, and a feeling of a, a physical threat and, and the emotional and social isolation, all that can build up in middle age. And then what we find is that women will divorce and so then it levels back off in old age. Now, you know, these are all theories, right? But, but we're looking at patterns and trying to attach theories according to uh, the patterns. So, so those are all very interesting when we look at them. The other thing that is, is noteworthy from the talk is widowers are five times more likely than married people to end their life. And, and for the reasons that we've already discussed, so I don't think we really need to get further into that. Um, but older white and American Indians, males are at the highest risk. And a lot of this is, as we get older, especially for men, and especially for white men, the social support dwindles, right? I mean, my girlfriend is very proactive in being connected I did an episode on um, hierarchical connections versus lateral connections. Hierarchical connections are, are typically what men have, where it's our boss. We're either connected to people through, you know, somebody being above us and and people below us. So it's hierarchical. I'm the boss, then I have my subordinates, or I'm a subordinate, then I have my boss and the people above me. But, and, but we don't have a lot of lateral connections. And lateral connections can include, you know, your personal trainer, your barber, um, the cashier, the male person, all these peripheral, peripheral people that are in our lives that, you know, we don't take the time to really stop and talk with and find out their story and what's going on in there. My, my girlfriend, Michelle, she knows all the tea about everybody. Anybody who comes into our house, any construction worker, male person, electrician, like she, somehow she gets their contact information, 
and then she gets to know their their significant other and and then they're just all best friends and then they're they're talking and chatting and uh, she is on the phone with everybody all the time and uh, and so just constantly feeding her social support and and it and it it always not always but you know I see the benefit of it because there's so many times where we need something and and we either know somebody who can help us or they know somebody who can help us and and we know that it's so much easier to trust someone when they've been referred by a friend so you know when you have a house and you know we just moved it, it just makes things a lot more easier and efficient and uh, you just feel like you trust the people who are coming in and out the house more. Uh, the other interesting thing from the talk by Matthew Fullen is he talked about aging and mental health factors. So when we look at suicide in older adults, 50% had mood disorders. And when we talk about mood disorders, we're talking like major depression, bipolar. And some of those signs can be like irritability, anxiety, change in weight, sleep, or appetite. And, uh, you know, I wrote something else down. Oh, difficulty concentrating. So all those can be signs of uh, a mood disorder. Uh, And so 50% had a mood disorder, 30% substance abuse. 22% 22% anxiety, and 7% psychotic. So when we talk about psych- psychosis, we're talking about either auditory or visual hallucinations. That even can include delusions. Uh, that, you know, we've talked, I've had a, a number of guests on here and even did a podcast about having delusions and people believing that their significant other is poisoning them. I have a friend right now. He, his, my friend's friend, um, re- is reporting that her husband is poisoning her. And this is a very educated woman who was seemingly stable up until this point and now firmly believes that her husband is poisoning her. So, you know, that falls into the realm of uh, delusion and psychosis, but it could also be true, right? Like it's not... It's not impossible and, and is not unheard of for someone to poison someone else, right? If you read any Shakespeare. But um, nine times out of ten, that's not how it's going to go down. And, and nine times out of ten, a man is not typically poisoning a woman as a means of ending uh, their life or her life, I should say. Uh, the other notable thing from the talk was, dep- I, I thought this was fascinating, depression based on environment. So, you know, a lot of times I've shared about changing our environment and how much our environment impacts our mood, right? And so now we have the research, and this is, oh, I, I love this. He says that when we look at people struggling Uh, or at least older adults struggling with depression, 14% of them are in home health, are in home health care, right? 11% are in hospitals, 9% are under primary care, and 4% are in community settings. So what we're learning from this is the more connected to our community we are, the lower our depression score, or at least our reported uh, symptoms of depression. You know, when you're in uh, home health care, you're kind of isolated. Most people who have home health care, they're isolated. See, and then, because you notice that's 14% versus a hospital, which is 11%. When you're in a hospital, you got the nurses coming in, you hear movement, you might have a roommate. Like, there's a bit more interaction, even though these aren't people that you have a, a deep background history and connection with. But there's still people around, there are people who are tending to you. And then 9% primary care. So 
a primary care physician is typically someone who you've established a relationship with over time. So you feel a bit more connected. And also when I think of primary care, I think of someone who maybe has a little bit more money so that they have a, they have less financial strain. And then 4% community settings. It, it comes back to our connection with community. And so a lot of us, you know, sometimes we'll forego community and relationships because we're so focused on work. And, and I, let's be honest, in this economy, how can you not be focused on work? I mean, we don't want to be called lazy or a bum, right? So we're on that hustle grind 24-7. I show up early and I leave late mode. But we have to make time. We have to schedule it. Let's put that in a schedule. Even if it's five minutes a day or 20 minutes a day or firing off an email or a little FaceTime happy birthday, whatever it is. I have a friend right now who is celebrating his birthday and his girlfriend is collecting videos from all his friends so she can put it together in a collage and show it to him. That's beautiful. I feel blessed to be a part of that. Obviously, I'd much rather be there, get a little eye contact, get that oxytocin. But there's so many ways we can be creative to form a community, right? Um, now, here are some of the challenges faced with older adults, uh, with, with providing help for older adults. One is older adults are less likely to admit suicidal thoughts. They're just not, they're not going to admit to it. They're like, ah, I'm fine, you know, that kind of thing. So if you're not admitting to it and you're not making people aware, how you can't, it's impossible to treat. We, we can't read thoughts yet. Yet. You know, it's coming. Or it might even be here and we just don't know yet. Because, of course, if it was here, they're not going to tell us first. They're just going to read our thoughts first and be like, oh, yeah, we got the software 10 years later. <laughs> um, also, the other challenge is uh, if, they, if they've had a history of psychiatric treatment, right? So if they've had a history of psychiatric treatment, then, uh, I, you know, I don't know why I wrote that down under that. That actually doesn't make sense. But I, my guess is this. A history of psychiatric treatment lets us know that there is a, a history or a pattern of extreme mood swings and a mood disorder. And what often happens is they stop taking their meds. Oh, I'm fine. I don't need to take it anymore. So that's the thing we have to be aware of. Or they're taking their meds and then it's not mixing with their new meds. Because as we get older, uh, a lot of us tend to have to you know, start taking other meds for other issues. And now the meds we were taking for our psychiatric care, our mental health care, uh, it, they, they're clashing. And, and then there has to be a tweaking of the meds. And that can cause sleep, weight, and emotional disturbances, right? Uh, the other challenge is, you know, they're more likely... The other challenge with, with treating with treatment for them is they're more likely to die from their first attempt. So the the older population, we're talking primarily people over seventy. You know, the the first attempt is the last attempt. So there's not really an established pattern of previous attempt that would warn us as a as a friend or as a mental health professional to know that we really need to keep an eye on Bill over here, right? Um, so they're likely to die from the first attempt. And also they're likely to seek care from their primary doctor rather than a mental health provider. And the, the reason for that is it usually comes down to finances and culture. You know, a lot of cultures to talk to someone about what you're experiencing and feeling, that is just a no-no. It's not something you do. Maybe you share in church, 
But a lot of cultures, you keep that to yourself or you keep that within the family. But you don't just go blabbing your mouth, blah, blah, blah. I feel this, my heart, that, my back. Nope, none of that. And so, you know, we're running into a, a, a cultural uh, barrier right there in, in some cases. And sometimes it's not even culture. It's just the way they were raised in their household or they may not even take it seriously. They might, yeah, yeah, you know, just whatever. And I don't know why I gave him that voice. <laughs> um, but there, but there. So you know, if you're a primary doctor, primary care physician, you're really the one of the first lines of defense in, you know, recognizing if there are any changes in their mood, weight sleep, appetite, they seem a bit more irritable because there are signs we can look for, right? What are And what are those? What are the signs that we can look for in older adults that would let us know they may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life? And uh, one is fr- a frustration with life, just frustrated with the world, the pandemic, the price of everything, their body, their relationships, the just uh, overall just frustration as if everything that they attempt to do can't be done. And then it's just kind of like this hopelessness of just what's the point of it all, right? And so, you know, they'll even express a desire to die. And, and you'll... And you'll know this because one of the signs is they start giving away prized possessions, books, food, money, coins. When they just start, you know, hey, here, take $500, take 1000 Hey, you want that couch? And you're like, I thought you loved that couch, Papa. Um, so when they start giving away prized possessions, you know, that's something to look out for. And also like a loss of interest in their environment. You know, maybe he was going... Uh, or she or they were going to bingo once a week or shooting pool or they like to go, you know, throw bread at the ducks, at the ducks. They, they like to feed the birds at the park. <laughs> and and all, now they're just staying home, you know, blinds drawn, TV on, dishes piled up. Just a loss of interest in their environment. They're not bathing themselves, not shaving. Just an overall loss of interest in their environment. Um, maybe they stop even stop reading the news, right? If there was a, if they were a person who read the news every day, and they're just like, nah, what's the point? It's all going to, right? So looking out for that. And then also, if they feel isolated or cut off from everyone, where they want to spend time with family, they want to spend time with friends, and they can't, or you know, maybe they're on an island somewhere. They're just a social isolation. There's just no, there are no people there in a, a house way up in the suburbs or a, a, a house up in the, in the hills in the, on the countryside, and they don't get a lot of company. So that social isolation, so then that can breathe like, well, if I'm not here, nobody's going to miss me because nobody knows I'm here anyway kind of mentality. So, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is uh, so much of the help that they're not getting or seeking, a lot of it is financial, right? We know that here in America, only about 35 to 40% of you know, mental health care is covered. And so that leaves uh, still a huge chunk for them to pay. And, you know, for someone who's not working and barely being able to pay the bills with, with their retirement money, uh, you know, that, could, that can be a burden. So I know what you're saying. You're like, Leo, you know, how do we, what, how do we, what kind of wellness plan do we put in place for people Excuse me, people over 70. So, you know, we we do want to put together a wellness plan. You know, sometimes we talk about a safety plan, but really a wellness plan. So first, we want to look at them physically. Are they caring for their body? Are you caring for your body? 
you know, are you are you doing your best to stay healthy now and setting yourself up for the future? And this this can be going for a walk. This could even be just cleaning up the house, right? Moving some things around, working out in the yard, not overdoing it in the yard because the sun, the heat stroke, all that is very real. Whether you're walking the dog, playing with kids, uh, stretching, you know, there's some very funny videos on YouTube of how older people in China exercise, and it, it's hilarious. If you if you <laughs> if you want to laugh, just funny Chinese workouts, and it, it'll 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 tickle it'll tickle your funny bone, right? So we want to look at their physical dimension. How are they taking care of themselves? Are they eating, right? And and what are they eating? Are they are they eating food that's going to help them maintain their muscle and bone mass? Um, or are they eating junk food? So looking at their physical dimension. And then their intellectual dimension, right? Are they growing intellectually? Are they maintaining curiosity about all there is to learn and valuing a lifelong learning and responding positively to intellectual challenges. And this comes from like crosswords of Sudoku or puzzles, um, you know, just all these different learning a language, playing an instrument. There's so many ways that we can challenge ourselves intellectually, whether it's, you know, puzzles and games or whether there are ways that we're interacting uh, socially, you know, going back to the physical dimension, dancing, 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 dancing. Mm-hmm. And, and that even falls into the intellectual uh, dimension because we know the more that we use our body and we're using both sides of our body, um, that stimulates the brain and releases dopamine and, and improves muscle memory. So the more that we, we move and groove instead of sitting and being stagnant, it, it's, uh, it just is better for our overall health and well-being and helps to level out our moods. Helps to level out our moods, right? And so then we also look at the emotional dimension of their life, where it's are they understanding and respecting feelings, values, and attitudes? Are they appreciating the, the feelings of others? Are they managing their emotions in a constructive way and feeling positive and enthusiastic about their life you know are, are they do they have something they're looking forward to are they able to look at their challenges objectively um and and do they feel uh, supported by others you know so it's about understanding and so in that understanding when we talk about emotions that's where curiosity is and that's where digging a little deeper is and asking more questions i think you know, a lot of times as we get older, we feel a need to be right all the time. And that really is a barrier to us learning. You know, when I think about learning, you're in class and you raise your hand. And the teacher is always encouraging you to raise your hand, to ask questions. And we have to continue to do that to improve our intellectual and emotional uh, wellness throughout life. Then we have the social dimension we want to look at, right? Where it's maintaining healthy relationships. We talked about the lateral and the hierarchical uh, dimensions. Enjoying being with others. So it's not just about being around people. It's like, do you enjoy these people? You know, and and that's where we have to be intentional. Um, Because a lot of times, and it's understandable, it's like, there's not a lot of, and you know, if you're an introvert, you only need one to three people that that you feel connected with. If you're an extrovert, you might need like 10 to 1,000. I don't know. I don't know what the number is for extroverts. But <laughs> but we, we, we don't need this. We, I don't, you don't need 5,000 Facebook friends is what I'm trying to tell you, right? So picking someone, find the someone that you actually enjoy being around. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you two are best friends. Sometimes, you know, you might have that coffee shop that you go to, and the energy of the people who work there, you feed off of, just being around that energy, right? 
for me, sometimes I like to go to like a nice hotel lobby and hang out there to kind of get that fix. Um, going to the park or the beach. So what I mean is it, it, spending time with other people doesn't have to necessarily be a one-on-one thing. It doesn't have to be a direct thing. It can just be allowing yourself to be in social situations, whether it is at a bar or a pool hall or a farmer's market or in church. All these different ways of putting ourselves in close proximity with other people, even just going grocery shopping, right? Or, you know, walking through the mall. This is the the joy of these open markets that we have, just being around others. I feel I love walking down the streets of New York City. I love it. It's just crowded. It's busy. Being on a train, sometimes just being on a train. That You know, that there's nothing. It's one of the few joys. Getting on a train when you don't have to be anywhere. You're just getting on for the ride. Take a book, a newspaper, just being around people, being around that energy. And it's just beautiful to feel like you're going somewhere without really having to go anywhere. So Such a joy. It's, it's like being on a cruise ship in a, in a way, right? So building up that social dimension, the friendships, the intimate relations, caring for others. This is a beautiful part of the social dimension. It's not just about, you know, are somebody going to call me? Is somebody going to stop by? It's also about taking the time to care for others, sending them care packages, right? Writing them a letter, uh, commenting on their Facebook feeds, all these ways that we can care for other people, checking in on your neighbors. So building up that social dimension, that social collateral. Everybody talks about money in a bank, but we need relationships in the bank too, Um and then also let other people care about you. Yeah. Let them let them do you a favor. Because, I mean, if you're like me, I'm like, I'm not letting nobody do me a favor because then they're going to want me to do something for them. That's, yes, if you're in prison, but if you're not in prison, then let, and even if you are in prison, I, I, I have had friends who are in prison and, it's it's not everything is not what we see in the news or on TV or read about. There that there are people out there who generally are just doing a thing for you because they can and they don't have anything that they want back in return. So building up that social dimension, contributing to your community, you know, volunteering at a soup kitchen or um, at a daycare, something, you know, maybe something where you get involved with children. So, so now you with kids, they're so active and you got to chase them around that keeps you active. So there's some, and I, I bet you there's like some rent a grandpa <laughs> or rent a grandma where, where like you just come in and read kids bedtime stories. There's also the spiritual dimension where we can find purpose, value, and meaning in life without organized religion, right? It's like just washing the dishes right now. We can find purpose in that, doing the best job we possibly can with the dishes. Even before this podcast, I I had a way I was going to do it. I was like, let me just do it like this. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't do it like that. That just feels too unorganized. I'd be too in my head. I won't be able to focus and I said, let me take the time and do this the way I want to do it so I can be present, feel grounded, and have some enthusiasm, some passion in what I'm sharing with you. So finding purpose in the right now. Don't worry about what your life means. Like, that's such a huge chunk to bite off. But what is, like, if you're doing laundry, that, that's, that's all that life means. Doing the laundry is the best, like washing it, drying it, making sure the clothes don't shrink, separating the darks from the colors, you know, hanging them up to dry, whatever needs to be, folding the clothes, ironing the clothes, putting the clothes away. There's so many steps. 
There's so many steps to focus on, to bring your attention to right here, right now. And this is the value of, of doing these things on a daily basis. And then, of course, we have the, you know, the, the vocational dimension, which is preparing for and participating in work that provides personal satisfaction and life enrichment, right? And, and doing things that are just consistent with our values and goals. Now, in this vocational dimension, somebody who's over 70, that's you know, probably going to be more of a hobby, finding a hobby, a thing that you, whether it's you're into cars or construction or cooking, but finding some type of gardening that brings you satisfaction that's in aligned with your values and goals and your lifestyle. It's, it's not going to overextend you, right? So that you can contribute your new, unique gifts and skills and talents to other people. And then we have the financial dimension, managing your your resources, right? And this isn't not just about money. This is about time and energy and setting realistic goals and preparing for short and long-term needs, right? Because everyone's financial values, needs, and circumstances are unique. And if you're in, if you're in debt, being able to talk about that so that you can resolve it, being able to face it, sitting down, taking that time. I swear to you, I was in so much debt I had so much debt, credit cards, bills, bill collectors calling. I was overwhelmed with it, and, f- and I had just been avoiding, avoiding, avoiding. And then finally I said, you know what? Let me just sit down and see what the actual numbers are and, and see if, these, if they will actually work with me to slowly chip away at it. And to this day, I only have one form of debt right now i had like 10 to 15 before and now i got it down to i actually have two now i have one is uh institutional and then another one is personal but what's beautiful is i'm taking strides i have a system in place to chip away at both of those so now i don't feel overwhelmed and it's a beautiful thing so sit down with it or Ask someone to sit down with you and help you out with that, right? Um, and then last part is making sure that um, we are taking care of our environment, environmental wellness, because we all know that wellness isn't just about us. It's about the environment we're in, you know, understanding, and that includes understanding your social, natural, and built environments and how that affects your health. If you're a hoarder, if your place is messy, clean that up. Clean it up. That doesn't cost you money for you to put things in its right place, right? It, it, it might be hard to reach some things. You may need help. Maybe you do have to pay for some movers to help you toss a few things out. Maybe you do a thing where, you know, maybe if, if you're a hoarder, you have a bunch of stuff and you just feel so attached you go, you know, I'm going to leave for a few days. And you just pay somebody to just toss stuff out that just, you know, that doesn't seem like it holds any value. And then come back. Just let somebody do that dirty work for you. Hire, hire a hit team to come in and clean your stuff out. But our environment has an effect on us. I love sometimes I'll see people cleaning up the neighborhood. I love that when I, you know, it was our neighbor, you know, he gets up and he sweeps the sidewalk and, you know, I see him like getting leaves off the, the I would say grass, but we have, we're a neighborhood of uh, AstroTurf over here. But, you know, when we're so aware of the unstable state of the earth and how it affects our daily habits, um, and in our physical environment, we have to take some time to address it. It's just our part of it. It doesn't mean that we take on the world. It just means you know what the 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 world, global warming, climate change, all that starts with me. 
Am I overusing things? Am I underusing things? Are, are, there, are there ways I can be more efficient with some things? Do I, do, does everything need to be in plastic or whatever? You know, I'm not trying to make this a whole global thing. But when, when we're conscious of the planet and how it relates back to us, then it allows us to feel more connected. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier, is that we don't need to feel connected to people on a one-on-one and directly. Sometimes we can connect to people through our intentions. I'm intentionally going to do something to help preserve the planet because I'm, I'm thinking about the planet and I'm thinking about the people on it and I'm thinking about future generations. So I hope this episode was valuable to you. I hope you picked up a nugget or two. And if you did, please share this episode with someone, someone who might be older, somebody who might be a grandchild, or somebody who you know who's taking care of someone who is older. If you're a, a therapist and you know other therapists who are taking care of people who are um, older adults, please share this. Sharing is caring. Um, and I like to give a special th- shout out to Matthew Fullen for providing me with this, uh, with the blueprint for this information, the, the scaffolding, and uh, and in our the next few episodes on that re- are released on Thursday will reflect some of the uh, conventions that I have attended. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute. Where are you going to get help? So, you know, before we do that, let's all take a big inhale. Hold. Exhale through the mouth. Let's do that one more time. Big inhale through the nose. Exhale through the mouth. Feel your shoulders drop. Feel your feet on the ground. Connect with your hips. Relax your jaw. Thank you for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you calling the 988 or any of the other international phone numbers that are listed in the show notes, whether you're in Switzerland or Bali or Thailand or Mazatlan or Greenland, anybody out there in Greenland who's hanging out in, in Norway, anybody in, <laughs> in Zambia? Uh, is, it, wait, is it Zambia or Zambia? Oh, my God, I feel I should look that up. Um, but anyway, no matter where you are in the world, thank you for tuning in. Remember, you can check the show notes. You can talk, chat, text. You can go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo and get your 10% off your first month with a therapist and let's get to tomorrow together.